This is the Neurodivergent Woman Podcast. I'm Monique Mitchelson, and I'm a clinical psychologist. And I'm Michelle Livock, and I'm a clinical neuropsychologist. This is a podcast where we center and showcase neurodivergent women from all walks of life. Covering autism to ADHD and everything in between, we aim to educate and inspire women who think differently. Today we have our first guest, clinical psychologist and neuropsychologist, Debbie Jeffries. Debbie dropped out of school in grade 11, but ended up with a PhD and a master's degree. Debbie is a neurodivergent woman with ADHD. She's a business owner, multitasker, and an advocate for neurodivergence. And our boss. (laughs) Yes, that's true. We're so grateful that she said yes to this interview. Debbie has 18 years of experience working with neurodivergent children and adults, and today she shares her insight into this population and her own lived experience. So, Debbie, tell us, uh, what does neurodivergence mean to you? And when did you first realise that you were neurodivergent? Um, So when I was studying um, and reading up about a lot of the neurodivergent um, criteria, I realised I had ADHD, long history. Um, And being a female, um, very um, few women are diagnosed as young girls. Mm. I was very shy but um, lots of anxiety because I'd say and do the wrong thing at the wrong time. Yeah. And my brother was diagnosed ADHD, but I was overlooked because I was a good girl, quiet girl, you know. Probably doing um, well at school as well. Very academic. Yeah. But that was through a lot of hard work and effort. Yeah. Um, and very exhausting. Yeah. Things that would take other people, you know, a very short period of time would take me much longer. For me, it just means normal because I don't know anything else. Yeah, and I think uh, it's interesting what you're saying there around you did really well at school, but um, that cost you a lot. And, uh, you know, Monique and I have chatted a little bit about in the diagnostic process for women with ADHD, it's not just looking at what are the behavioural manifestations of these things, but also you might be able to, you know, regulate your behaviour externally, but what's that costing you and how much effort is that taking to actually do that? Yeah, so the, the mental exhaustion mm. at the end of the day and just that the social anxiety and the anxiety from, you know, knowing that you say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing at the wrong time or just checking back on what you've said and done and not realising your impulse control is not the same. I you know, typically always put my foot in it. So, yeah, if, I, if I thought it, I said it. Yeah. So how, how did that impact you socially? I'm really curious because I guess knowing you as an adult, um, as an adult, I my perception of you is an extremely socially competent person. Um, I'd be really interested to hear what that was like for you as a kid. So I was super shy. Mm. So because, you know, when I was comfortable and I would blurt things, yeah. then I would be so tortured afterwards, I would actually be... I'm quite shy right? and it wasn't into my early 20s that that confidence Mm. came about. 
And um, you said that you first realized that you were neurodivergent, that you were an ADHD when you were studying. And I believe that was studying psychology and neuropsychology. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So I think um, sometimes unless you come across that particular information, um, it's not really out there, is it? And because you had access to that specialist knowledge, because you were studying to become a neuropsychologist, um, how much longer would it have gone before you found that out about yourself? Well, I think a lot of women don't ever find that out about mm. themselves. I think, um, as I said, I've got a brother diagnosed very, very young with ADHD. You know, girls, it's just such a different presentation, as is most of the mm. um, criteria for most neurodivergent developmental disorders. Mm. And I think um, for girls, because that presentation doesn't always neatly fit the criteria, as well as it should. I think there's so many women who will never know. Yeah. So what do you see as the most common misdiagnoses then for women and girls with ADHD? Um, anxiety, inattention could be linked to just um, sometimes behaviour, sometimes shyness, sometimes social anxiety. I think a lot of the times, if you know, some women will say that they've got learning disorders and it's not as just that they're you know, learn a little bit differently. Their working memory often is quite impaired. So I found that, yeah. you know, until I learnt to take thousands and thousands of notes um, and rely on those rather than my working memory, but some people obviously don't have that. Um, yeah. They've never taught that school or learn it themselves. Well, I mean, it's so interesting, you know, us as psychologists, the, the concept of working memory is so familiar to us and it's easy to forget that that's, you know, another language for most people. Most people have never come across that term of working memory um, and it just feels like, oh, I can't remember anything, I'm dumb, I can't retain this information. Yeah, it's the self-esteem, I think, and mm. I see that, you know, in – in lots of teens now and probably can relate now that self-esteem of being knowing that there's something that doesn't quite work right doesn't make it seem that there's an answer it just means that you feel a little bit broken or a bit different mm. um and i think um that's where there's so much anxiety i think for lots of girls who don't fit the the model and so, Debbie, what was it like for you when you were learning about neurodivergence in your study and you started to put the pieces together, you know, oh, I might be neurodivergent? I knew as soon as I started learning about it, it was, it was like a real aha mm. moment. And it's very funny. Um, everybody that I was studying with couldn't believe that I didn't actually know that that was... Um, That's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> because apparently it was quite obvious, but um, not until you actually, you know, unless you're quite introspective and think a lot about what's going on for you, which for lots of people, is, I think it's most teens, we know that most teens spend half their, their time comparing to mm. others. And, you know, you always come up short what you think other people are in comparison to yourself as a teenager. And so, you know, that self-reflection of why and what was going on was never probably the same as more than it was just less. Well, yeah, it's that's a really interesting point I think because you know, almost what I'm what I'm getting from what you're saying is almost in your head you already had a why, but the why for you previously was just oh there must be something wrong with me. Absolutely. And so, you know, you were talking earlier around you were shy because you'd blurt things out, say the wrong thing and then you'd feel so bad about it. 
I'm really interested actually to hear your thoughts on um, something that Monique and I have touched on previously that sort of popped up in, I guess, pop culture around ADHD, which is this concept of rejection-sensitive dysphoria. Um, could you just tell us your thoughts on that? So I think, um, you know, any negative concept, like experience or consequence, you know, I would put it instantly down to something I've done wrong or um, something that wasn't accepted mm. by others because of, you know, something mm. innate in me rather than realising everybody's got some level of difference. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just that self-punishment and the low self-esteem that comes from feeling like you're always putting your foot in it. Mm. Yeah. Permanent foot and mouth disease. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I guess, you know, with that kind of idea of people with ADHD um, being hypersensitive to rejection or um, criticism or what other people think of them, it's that sort of tricky balance around what part of that is an innate part of that neurotype and what part of that is actually just, you know, a, a buildup of experiences where you have felt rejected or like you've done the wrong thing um it's that kind of you know is being sensitive to criticism and rejection a part of the neurotype itself or is it a normal response based on you know, oh, experience you know i can't answer for everybody but i mm. think it was a lived experience yeah. you know yeah. when i was younger i don't think i had it the anxiety mm. until i started i remember about my seventh or eighth birthday party and that was my earliest memory of, you know, having friends there and, you know, I was excited, said something silly. And yeah. I really withdrew because I thought I'd just made a fool of myself. And, mm. you know, for me that was an experience, not just a build-up or mm. something innate. That was so. Yeah. And I think it differs, like in, in the presentations when I see in in clients it is different. You know, it's hard for some people to pinpoint. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I do think that some people have greater self-awareness than others. Mm. And when you think about um, being an adhd and being neurodivergent, what were some of the realisations that you had uh, when you started to realise, okay, here's an explanation for a lot of things that you had experienced and how it had affected um, the different areas of your life and how it might um, still affect the different areas of your life? Um, I think when I realised and realised the challenges that lots of people face and it's lifelong, um, probably my first experience that I, um, the first feeling I had was how proud of myself that I'd actually developed subconsciously mm. so many strategies to learn to overcome some of those difficulties. Yes. I didn't get it right all the time. But it was that reflection of um, I felt really quite proud of myself that thing without any outside input could put mm. those into place. But then there was also that awareness that there was so much more that could be done. Mm. And it really gives me an insight when I work with any neurodivergent um, clients that the challenges are different for everybody. And, yeah. you know, there is no one answer. Mm -hmm. So... In terms of your kind of study, so going back to, um, say, your high school days or your uni days, um, what were some of the ways that 
um, you know, being an ADHD has sort of affected that? And how did you manage that? So I got very little done in class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and can you just explain um, what the reason for that was? Like what was going on for you that actually made it really difficult to get things done in class? Um, racing mine. So I'd be racing ahead. I couldn't, mm. you know, stick at the same speed or I'd miss half of what they said. So what <laughs> it was like blah, blah, blah. So I was actually <laughs> in uh, um, trouble quite a lot through uh-huh, my high right. school years. I was, wasn't the best behaved child in the classroom for like not paying attention or for acting out or a bit of both I think yeah you know the early grades was just boredom Mm. pretty well because it was I just couldn't follow what they were saying if Mm. I had to sit and read that was fine but if I had to sit and listen that was really difficult yeah so a lot of my schoolwork was actually done in my own time Mm. Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm Yeah, that's, um, I, I love that comment. And it's often what I hear from, um, lots of clients who are, um, neurodivergent and have ADHD is it's just, uh, you're talking too slow. (laughs) I can't keep up because I can't, not that I can't keep up, um, the opposite. I, I can't actually stay engaged with what you're saying because I'm eight steps ahead of you already. Yeah, if I'm not eight steps ahead, I'm actually watching the birds outside because they're far more interesting and I can tune out and then I'll come back Mm -hmm. and you're still back where I thought you might have been (laughs) well and truly past, yeah. All right, so that's your study. And and what about, um, you know, we talked a little bit about like friendships when you're in school and, and, you know, being shy, things like that. How has being an ADHD impacted your relationships, you know, from childhood through to adulthood? Um, I think... I've learned to be a lot more patient with other people because I expect the same mm-hmm. in return. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think I've found it hard to open up and be my true self with lots of people. Lots of my long-term friends have said it took a long time to get to know me. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, you know, that bit of, um, you know, keeping the impulse control under control and really not letting much go at all when mm-hmm. you know in a social situation until I feel safe mm-hmm. you're almost like a hangover from your kind of early experiences mm. but, and you know it's interesting because I don't have social anxiety at all now but it's still just a protective factor I think mm-hmm. which I'm quite happy to have because <laughs> <laughs> it's not yeah. a bad thing no not at all and tell us about how being an ADHDR has worked for you um, or against you, I guess, in uh, employment throughout your life with your different experiences with that side of things. Um, I think the hyperactivity and the being able to just my mind racing, I'm quite good at getting everything I've got to get done, but I'm not always the most organised. But then because I put those, you know, lists and um checklists and all the routines you know i have lots of routines that i would do within any workplace to ensure that i don't miss something Mm. stop think do before i leave a room (laughs) or do anything i will stop check make sure there's not something i've missed or overlooked Mm -hmm. um before i leave a room those things i think i've become very um over the years i've always been a good employee as an employer it helps because you know, juggling lots of balls. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't rely on being a control freak. I'm quite okay with the fact that I can't keep 
you know, my trains of thought in one direction and be overly focused. I'm really good at multitasking, but I'm also really good at letting other people take the reins. So, Debbie, you have uh, mentioned to me in passing that you have had a couple of different careers and one example you gave uh, working as a psychologist is that you prefer working with children because there is more of that opportunity to move around um, while you're working with people. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so um, I, whilst I love working with adults, I do need to have that ability to get on the floor, move around, not just sit in a chair all day. I think mm. that would actually be impossible. Mm. Um, so I like the fact of having a job that whilst it is a, an office job per se, there's lots of movement. And also, you know, with children, you, they throw something at you all the time. So it's having to think on your feet, move about. It's not just the movement. It's that, mm. you know, they are unpredictable, which is actually works well with that ability to be able to go off on a tangent and, mm. you know, I'm able to meet them where they're at. And I think that's why I really enjoy working with, you know, younger children and children. Um, not to say I don't like my adults but that breaks up my day and actually makes it easier to be in an office job prior to that I did hairdressing which was on my feet but there was lots of you know it's a lots of activity lots of distractions lots of things going on Mm -hmm. so but it was a job that mentally wasn't as challenging or was um, fulfilling so I'm just getting the vibe that you really like to be busy and have lots of things going on that um, stimulate you. Yeah, so my way of, of relaxing is moving around. Mm. I'm not a lie-on-the-couch sort of a, a person. So mm. for me to unwind, it's just potting around, moving around, doing things. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time I couldn't understand why everyone else was always saying, oh, they need eight hours sleep and I didn't need as much sleep. I'm finding I make the effort to sleep more because it is better. You know, the more we sleep, the better it is. But, you know, I find I have far more energy than most people Mm. generally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was actually just going to ask about that, Um, your experience of sleep, um, both, you know, in childhood and adolescence um, and in adulthood um, and how that sort of changed. So it's really interesting. I went through I worked full-time and studied externally so I would work a full day 13 hours on a Thursday as a hairdresser and five or six days a week I would study overnight until one or two in the morning to get through my degree Um, so I didn't have very much in the way of sleep for a number of years there and was you know fine but it's really interesting as a child I think because there were so many new experiences and you know the brain development I slept an awful lot when I was really mm. little. Right up until mm. I was started school, I was a big sleeper. I remember you telling us a story about um, falling asleep on the bus. I slept. Mum would wake me up. I'd go to school. I'd sleep. We lived an hour from school. I'd sleep on the bus. I'd right. go to school. I remember sleeping in the classroom. I'd sleep on the bus on the way home. <laughs> oh, my God. So maybe I just had so much sleep when I was young that it didn't really <laughs> need it for a while. You, you've already met your sleep quota yeah. for life. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think there was so much going on, it was exhausting. Yeah. And I was a pocket rocket when I was awake. It was mm. just I'd go hard then mm. drop. That's so really like on or off. Yeah. There was only two speeds. So... What are the strengths that being neurodivergent as a woman has given you? Um, Firstly, I think particularly my career, compassion for difference, Mm. I think, and compassion for other people in general, 
as I said earlier, I expect people to be a bit kinder to me when I'm blurt things and do things. You know, they're not always appropriate, but I think um, I have become a compassionate person because of neurodivergence. I also think um, one of the strengths is that ability to um, think about lots of things. And so I've always got an activity or a project or something on the go. I'm, mm. I accomplish a lot, you know, might not be starting one project and finishing one project in the same I'll have a few projects on the go, but I, I think it's a real strength to be able to, you know, think so much um, all the time. So, you know, there's certainly benefits yeah. to it once you learn some of the strategies to manage the diff- the difficulties. Mm. And would you say, you know, I'm just uh, just thinking about what you're saying there around having multiple things on the go at once, would you say that you are more suited to being a business owner and sort of being your own boss rather than having someone sort of managing you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could work for somebody else yeah. um, now. Um, so when I worked in a multidisciplinary setting, I found that really rewarding because, you know, there was so much um, activity. There was always something new to learn. If it wasn't in my discipline, OT, your speech, or, you know, it was so busy. So I think that was a, a great um, opportunity to always have something different, something that was new um, mm. to experience as an employee. But as a business owner, it's that ability to... Um, be able to explore those crazy racing ideas and thoughts. <laughs> yeah, some of which are lead to incredible things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I have noticed that a lot of people um, who are ADHDers do tend to be entrepreneurs um, and have amazing ideas, um, yeah, and bring so much creativity and innovation to things. I think that um, comes a lot from childhood because – you have such a sense of failure, some like some of the time with lots of the things that, you know, you mess up, you put your foot in it, you know, you have, you, there's always some idea that you're trying and things don't always work, mm. but then there's lots of success mm. and, you know, that ability to realise that, you know, you're always thinking something, always trying something and sometimes mm. it comes off. So it gives mm. you a little bit more confidence. Like I'm, you know, probably a much higher risk taker for new ideas and ventures than lots of people, mm. you know, from, experiences in a childhood Mm. of you know failures and experiences yeah yeah that's great and I wonder if um you know just on that that kind of propensity for people with ADHD to try and find you know the path of least resistance so to speak and often you know in childhood that can be perceived as a weakness right Mm. like laziness or you're not putting the effort in um and absolutely you know there's times where you do just need to do the hard thing um but it's interesting because I wonder if that kind of um you know sparks that entrepreneurial spirit as well which is I'm actually trying to find the best most logical quickest way to do this yeah, maybe for some. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I think that, that deeply about it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And what have some of the challenges been uh, being an ADHD and being a woman? Um, I think um, that I'm, I know my husband, it's, you know, it took him a long time to feel relaxed around me because I'm on the go. So mm-hmm. as a woman, you know, I'm not sitting and just, chilling 
And so, you know, he would often say, you make everybody nervous or anxious or because, you know, moving around was mm. or is my way of unwinding. Um, that's been just something that um, has, you know, been an ongoing challenge, but I think everybody around me knows that's just me. Mm. So for me, it's been something to learn to live with that for some people, if they're not comfortable with my level of activity, that's not my issue and that has to be theirs. Mm. And so I've learned to be okay with that, that it's okay to be a bit different and might not, might not be the chilled person sitting on the couch and that I'm up and down, but I'm okay with that. And if other people aren't, that's not my problem. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be your top tips for other people who are ADHDers or neurodivergent, um, just from your lived experience and all your knowledge um, and have, having worked with people who are neurodivergent for a long time? Um, I think, number one, embrace difference, that, you know, we're not all the same and that's all, that's for a reason and that everybody brings something to the party. Everybody has a strength. Everybody has challenges. And in saying that, my top tip would be when you can identify your challenges, find ways to compensate those challenges. So for me, as I said, you know, lists or putting other people in roles that I'm not able to always be on top of, you know, like with the admin and things like that. So always find a way. Planning an organisation was one that was really tough. I was one of those people that, you know, it was always the most exciting or whatever was interesting at the time and everything was always put to the last minute. So I was a last-minute doer for all my assessment and assignments for a long time and I realised how much toll that had on me emotionally and mentally. So um, a top tip would be really learn quickly and early (laughs) to be a good planner, to start things early and give yourself time so there isn't that emotional um, pressure for the last minute and stop, think, do. I Mm. think, you know, that's been my saviour. That's why I don't lose things all the time, why I, you know, I'll I'll stop and think, what am I supposed to be doing? Or if I walk into a room and I think, why am I in here? And I'll rewind. Um, And so I think stop, think, do has been a really helpful tool, probably one of my top tools, and self-compassion, being okay with those mistakes and Mm -hmm. learning that, you know, there's no such thing as perfect. It probably shouldn't even be a word. Mm -hmm. That difference is just different. Yeah, those are some great tips. Yeah. Mm. So I was actually just hoping, Deb, as well, with the Stop, Think, Do, can you just explain um, what that actual process is for people? So is it just like a mantra that you say to yourself? Is it actions that you'll take yourself through? Um, Can you just kind of explain what that's actually like for you in practice? So over time, you don't think about it logically that every time you do it. But mm-hmm. I know when I first put it into place, it was quite tiresome mm-hmm. and I would forget half the time, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is about that cognitive awareness before every time I stand up from saying sitting at a, a, a cafe, stop, okay. And then that, that's that initial taking one or two seconds to stop mm-hmm. and then what do I need to remember? might be my jacket, my bag, my phone. Um, have I paid the bill, (laughs) (laughs) whatever it might be, Um, and then just taking action. But it's that giving myself that that two or three seconds Mm -hmm. before I I leave a room, before I leave a space, before I Mm -hmm. 
uh, and if I'm actually in the middle of doing something, so I'll walk from my bedroom to the laundry to put something away and realise I'm actually outside at the chicken pen, that what am I doing here? What was I supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. Rewinding it and then trying to do that other thing. And it's just that constantly making awareness of what was my plan? Where should I be? What should I be doing? Yeah, excellent. That's really clear. Thank you. That's so interesting because my husband has a mantra that he says whenever he leaves the house, and I think it's something like wallet, watch, keys, phone. (laughs) He says it every time and goes around and looks for things before he walks out the door, and that really helps him not forget things. The other thing I find really helpful is I always try, don't nail it every time, but I try to make sure that everything has a place Mm -hmm. because, you know, my mind won't always be on the task. Mm-hmm. So I do try to that my bag goes in a certain place, my keys go in a certain place, my shoes go in a certain place. And so if they're not there, you know, that's really unusual and it saves me so much time when I am distracted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And do you have a favourite moment or story that you could tell us that just kind of showcases your neurodivergence for our listeners? Um, no, I don't have anyone that stands out, to be honest, in relation to um, ADHD. I think because I don't hold on to things. I don't actually hold a lot of memories mm. that quickly come to mind. Maybe that's self-preservation, mm. but it's also a bit of self-compassion that I just, mm. you know, the past is the past and I've learned to let that go now. Yeah. 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 Well, Debbie, just let me say that I'm relieved that someone else at our work has foot and mouth disease because it's not just me. (laughs) No, it's me all the time. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So thank you so much for coming on, uh, Debbie. I've really uh, enjoyed uh, all your insights today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, Debbie. It's been a blast. So I really liked that in the episode today, um, Debbie talked a lot about understanding and embracing differences. Mm. And she talked about how developing that self-compassion was a really important uh, step for her and accepting her neurodivergence and really flourishing with it. Yeah. And what stood out for me with that was that self-acceptance of Not everyone is going to find the way that I exist and operate in the world a perfect fit for them, but that's actually okay, Mm. you know. And I think Debbie said that having that self-compassion for herself flowed onto having a lot of empathy and compassion for others. The other thing that I thought was really interesting about um, Debbie's interview was she was talking a lot about the importance of setting up processes. So um, having kind of things in place in her every day, which actually takes the load off having to constantly manage and think about all these sort of administration tasks of daily life. Um, And instead, she's got these sort of automatic processes set up that takes care of all of that for her. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And something um, that uh, I've been working on just in general is actually looking at um, ADHD is being able to access treatment. Mm. Um, so at the moment, if you are an adult with an diagnosis of ADHD after the age of 18, you actually can't access, um, all the medications and treatments under the PBS that you can access if you have a childhood diagnosis. Can you just explain to people what PBS is? 
the pharmaceutical benefits scheme. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a scheme that offsets the cost of medications from things like the birth control pill to antibiotics and makes them affordable versus like say in america where it costs you three hundred dollars for a vial of insulin okay insane yeah so it's just really bizarre to me that if you have that late diagnosis as many women do that you're then financially disadvantaged and not able to access the same treatments that others with uh, who are ADHDers can access with a childhood diagnosis and this is actually a barrier to a lot of people being able to afford treatment you know, I have university students that were diagnosed at 19 who can't actually afford um, the treatment that's going to help them mm. finish their university degrees mm. um, because they can't access it on the PBS. Mm. So if you are interested in promoting equal rights and equal access to treatment for ADHDs in Australia, please have a look at our Facebook and Instagram page and we have a change.org petition on there to really advocate We're nearly at 2,000 signatures, but we need much more to be able to bring this to the attention of the media and the pharmaceutical companies and the PBS. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks so much for flagging that, Monique. So thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check out and like our Facebook and Instagram page. In our episode next week, Monique and I will be chatting about the dis neurodivergences. So dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, and dyspraxia. So tune in to hear more. Thanks, bye.